Welcome to Moving the Needle, where we highlight innovators doing needle-moving to create generational wealth and strengthen America's inclusive competitiveness. We're excited to bring you this episode, and we couldn't do it without the support of our sponsors. Live Oak Bank is on a mission to be America's small business bank and has the privilege of helping thousands of passionate, driven entrepreneurs turn their dreams into reality. These small business owners aren't in it for the fortune or the fame. They're in it to make a difference, just like Live Oak. As the top SBA 7A lender in the nation, Live Oak works tirelessly to treat every customer like they are the only customer. Going above and beyond is simply how Live Oak operates. They strive to deliver an experience different than what you typically expect from a bank. Their customers remain at the center of everything. You can learn more at liveoakbank.com. All right, let's get to the show. We have nearly 800,000 members. We don't have celebrity endorsers. We don't have tier one VCs. We have people talking about us at barbershops, bodegas, because we showed up in a way that no one else showed up. Welcome to Moving the Needle, a fresh new podcast that explores how social innovators and problem solvers are doing transformative work in cities and rural communities to create pathways for generational wealth creation. This is Jonathan Hollifield. And I'm Christopher Gergen. As your co-hosts, we're here to lift up solutions that are giving us hope and can light the way for policymakers, community leaders, philanthropists, private investors, and engaged citizens who care about equity and economic impact. Christopher, our guest today is Rodney Williams, co-founder and chairman of Solo Funds. You're the one who met Rodney and brought him to the podcast. I did, Jonathan. You know, Rodney and I first met through the Aspen Global Leadership Network, where we're both Henry Crown Fellows. We also served on a jury together for the Moonshot Awards, an amazing awards program where we're able to help select next-generation social entrepreneurs from far-fung places around the world, from Nepal to Canada. Through our time together, I have been super impressed with him and what he's doing at Solo Funds, and excited he said yes to come on our show. But the crazy thing is that even though I initially connected with him, you have a ton of mutual connections. We both went to West Virginia University. Let's go Mountaineers. We also spent a good chunk of our careers in Cincinnati. Interestingly, I am the founding executive director of Sensitech based there, and Rodney founded a company called Listener, in which Sensitech invested. Seems we were destined to connect. Rodney also has a compelling personal story. Rodney grew up in Baltimore, where his family didn't have much, and he learned entrepreneurship early on. I grew up with my parents being entrepreneurs, and and that ultimately was how they changed their economic position. But also grew up always having businesses and always having ideas. And it allowed me, at a time that my family needed my support, it allowed me to, to, to address it. So I always knew that it was like my duty to take ideas and make them play um, and bring them to life. And to me, that was not only how I changed my economic position, but how I changed others. Changing others is a common theme throughout Rodney's career so far. The way he changed his life was through the company I mentioned earlier, Listener. You know, we raised a significant amount of capital. It was a four-time CNBC disruptor. I traveled literally the entire globe advocating. We have investors from Japan, Germany, India. Like it's it's it was it's what we what we did trying to push that technology was pretty pretty remarkable. But at some point, right, you raise a bunch of money. I've definitely elevated my economic position. I, I was going back to the original problem that I saw with my mom and my dad and the wealth gap that my family had despite their work ethic. And ultimately, what what I felt was wrong was it just needs to be told, right? The current financial system, the old financial system and the future financial system, it's still very discriminatory. 
to the point where the technology isn't necessarily designed for everyone, especially financial services and fintech, right? It's not designed for everyone. Um, it's also the regulatory environment and the enforcement and the protection is not unbiased, <laughs> right? And that creates a past problem, a present problem, and a future problem. So, you know, I decided that I was going to go after the financial service industry. Lord knows I didn't want to. I tell you that much, right? Um, I'm a marketer. I, I, I could, have, could have started many opportunities, many jobs, but to fix it or to address it or have an opportunity, we were going to have to go up against a Goliath and, and set something right. And the first thing that we decided to, to address, which I felt like was the most immediate problem in my communities, was the access to short-term capital, right? And, and simply put, I'll tell you a personal example. You know, there were times where my mom may have been getting paid on a Monday and uh, the bill was due on a Friday or Thursday. What that ultimately means, um, despite my mom's paycheck on the way, or despite any other, other scenarios, is that that bill would not go paid and the lights would turn off, right? What would happen over the next two days would incur a significant amount of costs. Obviously, everything in the refrigerator is going to go bad. You know, the kids may or may not be there. If it's, if it's, if it's in the winter, we would be staying at a cousin. I mean, it's a kind of like a, a tumble of costs. And, and even if all kinds of fees from the utility or other uh, crediting institution. Yeah, there's a turn off fee. There's a turn on fee. Yeah, one fee. There's a bill That's pay right. fee, right? And so, like, I, I'm actually not even part of the world that thinks payday loans are bad. I am part of the world where if you actually go without, there's a kid somewhere that's sitting in the cold. And that does not have a cost. And the only person that's saying that it's expensive is people who do not use the products. Number one, it's the problem with this, the number one problem. There's many problems with that. So um, I understood the real cost, not the 400% that's advertised in the APR, all of the additional fees that happen and all of the opportunity costs that happen when you go without an option. That was, uh, we said, you know what, I want to address this problem. I want to, I think when there's lack of options, crime go up. I I saw it in my own family. I, I literally had cousins where if they couldn't borrow from family, if they couldn't sell something, they stole from the family. <laughs> this is this is not, you know, it's interesting. I, I'm, I don't, and you know, what is our competitive advantage is that we're, we're talking from very like personal experiences. And when we double click number one, it just wasn't a problem with just my neighborhood or my community. This is an American problem where most Americans, right, do not have a thousand dollar savings in their savings account. Most Americans can't afford an emergency. What is an unplanned emergency? Well, it's something that happens one to four times a year. It is the flat tire you didn't talk about. It's the medical bill that you didn't save up for. It's the deductible to the car accident that you had that you didn't think about. And all of these things are extremely expensive to fix. So we decided we're going to bring to market a community platform. And I tell you, even from the early early days, we, we actually literally started from a blank piece of paper. Like, if I'm going to create access, where am I going to get the money from? We felt like institutions weren't going to let us distribute the money based on the way we wanted to underwrite, which... Before you go on, let me, let me make sure we're aligned with where you're going with this. Much of the work that we see and do is about affirmative wealth building, you know, all of that. It feels like what you're doing is creating short-term capital in relatively modest amounts to prevent the downward spiral that ultimately creates sometimes an insurmountable barrier to ever getting to opportunities to build wealth. Are we thinking about it the same way? You're exactly right. Right? Yeah. You know, and, I, and we, it was a choice, right? We, we saw there were a lot of programs at the higher, the higher part of the pyramid, mm-hmm. right? 
small business loans and minority development, right? The, the bottom barrel, no one had raised the bar. And we felt that that was the, the problem that we wanted to address first. Well, other than, you know, and when you talk about the short-term capital and you've addressed this already, but typically that, that capital is very expensive. So a working capital line, you're, you're bumping up against a couple different things. One is that there are these systemic barriers in place for a significant portion of Americans to be able to get access to this capital, and this is true globally. But if you do get access to that capital, it can be very expensive, right? Whether it's you know payday loans, whether it's a, a, an expensive credit card uh, that's predatory lending. I mean, there's a lot there. There are services that are in that that area that you were talking about in terms of short term capital, but they compound the challenges that Jonathan was just talking about. Yeah. So the funny thing is when it, when when as it relates to emergency capital. It's it, the, 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 in terms of financial products, there's, there's only payday loans, there's title loans. That's it. Emergency capital rec- means that I need this capital within 24 hours. So sometimes you can find a credit card and get approved and get the credit card digitally and then go use it for the thing that you need it for. But that usually credit cards is get, like it's 20, it's 48 hours, 72 hours. You, you have the ability to plan for it, right? When you look at the payday industry or the short-term personal loan industry, it is highly around emergency capital, which again, that's a, that's a distinction that we we realized in the insight that we knew. It's cash advances, payday advances, getting earned wage sooner. That money is already planned for. My mom already knew where 100% of her paycheck was going to go to. This new tire that blew up was, I don't have, there's no, there's no budget for that. <laughs> right. So that's this concept of like unsecured, unplanned emergency expense. When, when you look at the payday industry, I, I, that's why I'm no, I'm no longer saying predatory loans. There's no such thing. What there is, is a lack of innovation and it's just what's there. Payday loans are legal. Yeah, right. they, they are, I guess, one of the reasons just to, and I appreciate the fact that uh, it is basically a market response to this challenge. But I think the way that people would, you know, for example, um, we have the Center for Responsible Lending here in Durham that puts a lot of time and energy to fighting the predatory lending practices that are across the country that are basically, there's a lack of regulation around them, and they tend to be very exploitive. But I hear you in terms of the fact that it's a legal market practice and it's a market responding to what the needs are and they make that capital very expensive to be able to make the business model work, maybe. But I think that we're, that's what we're going to get into in terms of how you all have innovated in the, in the space to be able to address yeah. that problem. Because what, what I'm getting at, too, most importantly, is the option. No option is more expensive. Boom. I do agree with that. I, I think that's a, that's, a, that's a good, yeah, well-made point. In all of these centers, I, I love you guys. I, I, when it, you know, my aunt, she gets denied from payday loans. She then has to move in to a family member. Mm-hmm. She has to uproot her family. She, her job was walking distance. She doesn't have the car. She loses that job at the, the restaurant. She basically has to go to a different part of town. Two hundred dollars would have kept the job. She would have paid a thousand dollars for that two hundred dollars. Yep. If you would have got the job. It's very easy for someone like myself. I have a great home. We all have great homes, I'm sure. But it's very easy for someone like myself to look at that APR and say, wow, that's expensive, right? I'm getting, I'm going to buy a house in this market right now and I'm getting like 3%, <laughs> right? Because of all the people I know and all the banks and relationships and all the things that I have, I'm, I'm, but that again, we shouldn't be the assessor of what is expensive and what isn't. First of all, I think we need to go to that market and ask them. We need more representation determining that looks like and who is into more intimately connected to that market to understand what's really happening. And I, and I give an example of places like New York City. I'm a, I'm a Caribbean person. I'm an ethnic person. And I'm also, if you know anything about to, like these groups in places like New York City, the informal 
short-term lending market is as rampant as you can ever imagine. They have all the different names called SUSU, partners, there's savings clubs. They have these little things where literally the women in every home, they drop off money each and every week and you go to and you actually fund to. I'm talking about little mom and pop banks in every part of every city, but mostly a lot of them in New York City. That's happening. It's been happening since the beginning of time. So conceptually, that, that community part was something that, that inspired me. I, I'll get back to that. But when I, when I talk about, I try to tell people, like when I talk to regulators, I was literally with a regulator yesterday. And I was like, you got to understand, you're too far removed. If you, if you think that no option is better than a option. I tell people all the time, I'm actually not against any offer of unsecured capital. What I am against is not being transparent about what the cost is going to be. What I'm against is not communicating the truth here. Is that, hey, if you pay over time, it's going to cost you more, <laughs> right? These are the things. Communication, clear transparency is all of the things that make people feel empowered so they can make an accurate decision. This group also is not financially literate. None of us on this call could survive. If I gave you $50 and said you would have to survive for a week, we would all struggle. <laughs> but I, you know, when I look at our users, I can see how much they budget $50. They know exactly the time of the day that their Netflix subscription is going to hit the gap, right? Because that's how much they're budgeting. So what I'm ultimately getting at is like we've, we needed to address this bottom piece and, and there hasn't been any innovation. Large banks have said they're not, this too expensive to lend to this group. Everyone has said this group is not going to pay back. This group, meanwhile, Who's investing in payday loans? And hey, and just Rodney, while we're while we're just on this topic in terms of ha- you guys have clearly sort of thought through what what percent of the U.S. population are we talking about? What's the what's the what's the scale of this challenge? Can you help us uh, frame that up? Yeah, depending on what study, you know, two to three years ago it was about sixty one percent. I will tell you based on what we see. Um, Sorry, sixty-one percent of the population uh, is is basically living paycheck to paycheck, and is in at some point over the course of a period of time needs an emergency loan. Exactly. And your emphasis on this transparency and the lack thereof. How were you able to gain enough transparency to actually know? or target your innovation because the absence of transparency really undermines innovation because few people know what's, what are you targeting? What are you overcoming? What are you innovating? So I'm interested in that part of your story. Honestly, the mere fact that no one thought it would work. Hmm. It didn't matter who we told, what we were going to do. They didn't think it would work. They didn't think being able to provide working capital or emergency capital to 61% of the population, you could come up with a solution that would be scalable. What what part of it did they not think would work? Well, I mean, let's talk about the bias that I face. And I, and I talk about, I'll talk about that and then I'll get to what we ultimately get. There has been a lot of great, smart people who tried to fix this problem. They went to Harvard. They went to MIT. They've been lawyers that have worked at the CFPB, and they've all have failed pretty dramatically, from Linda to Prosper to Lending Club to you name it. They've all failed. I would tell you the number one reason that they failed was the lack of understanding who they were serving and the assumptions that they made to actually create that technology. So when you look at venture marketing and technology, it's just pattern matching, right? Um, yes, I had a great venture. And if I was doing something in marketing or retail <laughs> or, or I, you know, I would have the credibility for the concept that we were bringing to market, they were like, this, there's no way that my, myself and my co-founder, a kid from Cleveland, Ohio, myself from Baltimore, Maryland, will figure out a better model for access to short-term capital. I, I just don't, and and that's, that's, that's before I even communicate the solution. 
Now I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna make everyone here more comfortable. This is how we said. This is how we became. This is how well, our innovation is a lot of things, but it started off with transparency. There's nothing more transparent than let the borrower choose their terms. Boom. That's it. It was easy to me. Like I, I didn't. I wasn't like at home and I had like the big aha moment. It's just easy to make someone understand what they're going to pay. They dictate what they're going to pay, not the lender, and that's all they should pay. It never goes like this. That's all we said. And I said all of, I think I was like talking to my co-founder. I was like, you know what? If we empower these borrowers and give them choice, give them freedom of choice, I think loyalty and uh, encouragement, I think they're going to be connected to us. One piece. I said, two, if the money is coming from a person and not an institution and they understand the difference so, right, when you come into the solo platform, there's a tip that goes to another member who's lending you the money. There's no if, ands, or buts. It's 100% going to them. The borrower knows that. Then there's a donation that goes to the platform. Borrower also knows that. Borrower can make them all, both zero or feel free to do the max. But we give them the complete choice. There's no preferential treatment, whether you tip or you don't. And it doesn't have anything to do with your score, which is our underwriting method. And everyone, that's what, I, what we're talking about is an optional fee structure. No transaction fees, no instant cash fee, no subscription fee. <laughs> There's nothing. You sign up, you make a request, you tell us what you would like to pay, depending on your situation, and another member will fund it or not. So everyone said it wasn't going to work. <laughs> Let's take a break. Today's episode is brought to you by SHRM. Our partners at SHRM, the Society for Human Resource Management, have created better workplaces by supporting diversity, equity, and inclusion throughout the world of work and society. It's why they developed the Together Forward at Work initiative to drive racial inequity out of the workplace. It's why SHRM made a capital commitment to support minority-owned business enterprises. And it's why they are partnering with us at Moving the Needle to support the call for inclusive economic development opportunities. Together, we can help workers realize their full potential in their work and in every aspect of their lives. So you can learn more at SHRM.org. That's S-H-R-M dot org. Okay, back to the show. Let's get back to moving the needle. I'll tell you what happened. Yeah, and, and I would love, Rodney, when, you're, when you describe this also, if you could tell us a story about a borrower uh, and, uh, and how it worked in terms of this individual's journey on that, that would help, I think, capture capture the story of solo funds um, and, and personify it. Give it a, give it a face. Oh man. Um, we actually just did some borrower videos um, that I would love to share. But I, we're going to, we're going to, um, I'll, I'll give you a story. We'll link to it by the way, on our, on moving the needle dot solutions. We'll put some videos up there too. So uh, we'll let people see, check that out. Well, we've done nearly half a million loans, by the way, we have nearly 800,000 members. We don't have celebrity endorsers. We don't have tier one VCs. We have people talking about us at barbershops, bodegas, because we showed up in a way that no one else showed up. So I wanted to share that and I'm gonna tell you the story. She was a single mom, she has two kids. She has a college degree. She's a customer service manager, but she's a customer service manager with two kids, meaning she makes about Fifty-five to $60,000 a year. And and I think like maybe um, she works in like a more of a, like the DMV area, so a more expensive city. That income with two kids is not enough, right? So she lives a very, very tight budget. Now, because every time she has an emergency, her credit just goes to, sh- to shit. That's what happens. It's not that she did not budget. It's just that when the mess up happens, so credit cards are not an option. And to be honest, a lot of instances, payday loans are not an option for us. They're not. Her, for example, 
which when you think about underwriting, she has really strong cash flow. She has had the same job for like seven years. She's an incredible employee. I tell this story because um, I will tell you who also funded her, which is another part of the story. She comes to us maybe two to four times a year, and now she has a resource. I will also tell you, during tax season, she lends. Uh, it's so interesting. So you also, this is an example of where you actually have people playing both sides of it, whether they've, rep, they've been a recipient on the borrowing side and they're a participant on the lending side. 100%. 30% of borrowers also lend. Mm. Because to, to create a wealth building product, you have to do two things. You have to provide access to capital and you also have to provide yield. So here's the other thing that's important. 82% of our lending members also live in underserved zip codes. And you know why? They have two to $5,000 of discretionary capital sitting in their Bank of America account. And we all know that account with $2,000 to $5,000 is not creating yield because Bank of America is not going to give you their best yield producing products. And Goldman Sachs is calling on me and all of us on this call. They're not calling on the mechanic who has two to $5,000 in a bank account. So that money never grows. Now, that's who our lenders are. I'm going to tell you about our lender. He's a school teacher, also lives in that same area. Um, actually, maybe like northeast somewhere. He, that he, he's done a better job. He's a single man. He's younger, but he has a few thousand dollars. And he lends on our platform. He also lives in an underserved zip code because, again, when you live in those cities and you're a school teacher, you can't afford to live in a, the super nice part of town. It's just unrealistic. And that lender now makes a return for giving back. Um, it's two parts. Yes, we've lent nearly $150 million, but my favorite stat is $12 million of tip income have been distributed back to those same neighborhoods. So the tip, tip is, dare I say, comparable to interest. If you, if in concept. I like to say, it's a new concept that I'm coming to market with and we have a report coming out. It's, it's, it's comparable to the total cost of the, of the loan. Gotcha. That's it. That's an even, that's spinning it forward. I got you. But you know, if you make up, let's say make available a thousand dollars, I may choose to tip a hundred dollars. So my total return to the lender is eleven hundred, right? Yes. Bingo. Yeah. So if I understand right, essentially you have the customer service manager who puts a request in, says, I need an emergency loan. At this moment in time, you have the school teacher who has some discretionary income who basically says, I'm, I want to give a loan to this individual because I could see the fact that she's seven years in her job. I don't know what kind of criteria you provide. And then she gets that loan, is able to cross the chasm of the emergency period. Uh, she doesn't incur all of the costs that are associated with it, because I think you've made an excellent point in terms of saying it is really expensive when you come up short based upon all the compounding factors. Mm -hmm. She gets over that hump. She repays that loan to the school teacher, may opt in for the interest, uh, sorry, for the tip. He's able to make his money more productive because he's been able to make that loan, he gets that money back. Presumably, he sees the value of that. It's He continues to stay on the platform, continues to lend. And then she comes out of it and says, that was an awesome experience. I want to also be a lender when I have a little bit of additional discretionary income around tax time, et cetera. And that just creates this virtuous community banking cycle that you emphasize on solo funds. And everyone has a choice, to your early point, Rodney, the power and of choice. Yeah. Yes. There, there's no denial process. Everyone can make a request. Everyone has a chance mm -hmm. to convince a lender. And I'll give you an example of why that's important. When the hurricane hit Florida, we saw a flood of requests to get out of the era due to the hurricane. Our lenders, because they felt altruist, a lot of those loans got funded with relatively no tip. Again, mm -hmm. Jonathan, 
That's the power of choice on the lending side too. That's what I mean. Everyone has a choice. Like that school teacher is looking at folks in here and, and looking at the news and saying, I want to do something right now. And, and, and how do I do that? And I open up an app and I can see a mom right now who needs a hundred dollars. Oh, this mom doesn't even have to pay me back. Right. That's the power of community finance. And you give folks choices mm-hmm. on both sides. And that was it. That's the innovation. That's the, the, that's the sweet power. And we've heard everything. Why give money? Why give away the tip? Keep it for yourself. Why have their money? Why don't you use institutional capital? Why make it's, it? It looks too novel. Like why is it optional? You should make mandatory fees. Back to your point, John. What can, what makes it an interest on APR is it has to be mandatory. I would also tell you, origination fee, transaction fees, subscription fees, late fees are legally not part of the APR calculation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's even more expensive capital. Yeah. You see, IOI is irrelevant. And everyone's talking about the wrong stuff. I, I, I can give you an example of a loan that a, that a friend took that said thirty six percent APR, but it was a it was a line of credit. And every time, and you only could draw down hundred dollar increments. And every time you would draw down hundred dollar increments, there was a, a a drawdown fee, which is not part of the APR. And that drawdown fee was fifteen dollars. So they were paying fifteen dollars for a drawdown fee of hundred dollars plus the thirty six percent. Plus, if you wanted it hits your account today versus ACH, ACH was free. That's two to four days. If you wanted it today, that was an extra two ninety nine plus one yeah. percent. I want to go back to Jonathan, what you were talking about earlier, which I think we're all on the same page about, which is that to go back to your earlier point, Rodney, if we don't address this issue that sixty one percent of Americans face around emergency capital, then we are consistently in a one step forward, two steps back environment, and you are never going to create generational wealth because you are always behind the eight ball. It's almost impossible to have asset accretion when you are constantly slipping farther and farther behind because of the the incredibly expensive period of time when you have a short shortfall, like you were talking about, Rodney, with your mom, with your aunt, and in what 61% of Americans face. You know, it is, it feels absolutely foundational to get the generational wealth conversation is you've got to be able to make sure that people don't fall through before they can step up and step into some generational wealth creation opportunities. Yeah. I mean, to me, it's a pandemic. You know, I, I got to go home for Thanksgiving and I have to bring extra money. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just being honest. Yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, man. We, we've we talked about this yeah, idea. Well, yeah. it's like people saying, oh, I'll start a business and I'm going to go for friends and family. And we were talking earlier, you know, to Lanier Richardson in another uh, episode. He's like, man, friends and family. I'm, I'm bringing money to friends and family. It's not I can't go to them to go fund my next <laughs> venture. <laughs> I, I am the source of funds for their uh, for their livelihoods. Um, we're, we're come up into some time here. So Rodney, you mentioned it's a pandemic and there, there are persistent barriers. What are the barriers that you're continuing to run into that need to get addressed in order for us to be able to address this pandemic? The biggest barrier that needs to be addressed is the regulatory system and the, mm. around innovation for this group. And t- talk to us just, you know, let's not get too wonky on it, but what are the, what are some of those regulatory barriers that are making it more difficult to get capital, the right type of capital with the transparency that you were talking about to 61% of Americans that need it? Number one, the, the regulatory rules are discriminatory and they're designed by a lot of folks that didn't care. And I'd give you an example of the regulatory rules. Every state has a different lending law. What I, Let's just say I wasn't having my first company. I'm a kid in Baltimore and I got a dream of creating a new way to provide access to capital. I literally, the amount of money and legal things to start up a lending business in the United States is unimaginable. But like, because yeah. again- You got to basically be incorporated into like 50 states. Yeah, that's so, so, and you get the right. So the legal complexity is designed to create a, 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 a big ba- a barrier of entry point. 
That was done by big banks in payday loans. They wanted it to be hard to become a lender, number one. Because you can buy every license. I mean, you can get every license. You can get a payday loan license. You can get a lending yeah, license. State more. by state. To be a lender in the United States has said, hey, you need to be part of the haps. Right? So that's that's issue number one. <laughs> before, before you even have your idea, issue number one is, is, is that. The other issue is and laws are designed to protect that infrastructure. So right now, for example, we have regulatory issues. The regulatory issues are two-part. They have an issue with regular people lending to other regular people. That's issue number one. Because they're not qualified investors. They're not, yep, right, yep. Different state actually has different opinion of why it's an issue. It's not a unilateral consensus, right? It's different. The other issue is we don't like optional fees. Okay, so despite the borrower truth in it, despite them doing no, we want you to do mandatory fees. Mandatory fees are more transparent. Really? <laughs> you literally took the words out of my head. Really? The word out of my head. Really? Really? And that's the problem, right? That's a very personal to us, but I will tell you, any founder, any person with an idea, you know, you, if you have to overcome the expense barrier and the complexity barrier and the legal barrier, and then you have to design something that has been designed. So if you design anything that's outside of that infrastructure, you're deemed illegal and wrong. And then, okay, let's just say I'm doing innovation. What? So you expect me to write a bill and then get a new law to get passed? And I'll give you an example. What, what we're doing, this concept of community finance and peer-to-peer, is actually not new. It's done in the, in the UK. It's done in Southeast Asia. In the UK, they actually have a peer-to-peer license. In parts of uh, other parts of the world, they have a microfinance license that is specifically designed for products that serve this low, the lower portion of the, the customer consumer base. Again, let's say I do all of that and I still want to innovate. I then now have to convince a VC to give me money to chase this ambitious, expensive dream that includes licenses in every state, a bill, <laughs> and you name it. And we and then I, this is before I wrote a single line of code. So to me, it's pretty obvious why there's no innovation here. Like it's pretty obvious. To get you to that math, I think it takes anywhere from about seven to twenty million dollars to create a new lending business, and to still, and it would just look like what's already there. You know, to your point, uh, Rodney, and we are getting to be getting to the bewitching hour, but a form of encouragement. I find the model compelling. I find you a compelling person, obviously. One of the challenges we face in this space is building demand. And those who could benefit most from the kind of innovation you offer, it doesn't feel like this has risen to an advocacy leadership priority. And it could be a tremendous tool in just the way you envision it. How are you thinking about the network of advocates and all the things that could drive this to a priority to overcome some of the regulatory challenges that you face? How are you thinking about raising that demand, not just the offer from you, but the demand from the potential beneficiary? We tried the quiet way. We tried, you know, I'm one of those guys, I'm, I'm old school in this part where I'm like, I just show up and get it done each and every day. I don't talk about it. Like, right? Product market fit, you're damn right. Right? Now, that didn't work. We've, we've spoken to regulators. <laughs> we've had conversation. We've tried to be cordial. We, we didn't ruffle any feathers. We submitted the link on the email, on the internet website first so we can get the response in the email. Like we did it all and it did not work. 
they're still coming for us. So back to your point, we're going to activate now. And, and that bar is going to get activated. So, and it's going to get serious because there has never been a fintech as successful as us doing this, led by a group of committed people like us. And we're not hiding behind the company logo. Uh, we're not hiding in Silicon Valley. I live in mid-city Los Angeles. As a payday lender, I can look at it down the window. I, it's my inspiration each and every day, right? But these stories, who we are, we're going to raise the bar, Jonathan. We, we're, we're releasing a total cost report. We're going to prove that we're the most affordable option in the market. We have advocates that are going to start stepping up and publicly saying, this is not the company. This is, this is the solution. You know, we're going we're gonna to start pushing. And, and yes, payday loan folks and all types of folks are in the, pol- in, the, in the pockets of a lot of politicians and legislators, and they actually feed into the regulators. And that structure is something we're going to have to deal with. And, and that's it. We're going to do it. I hope VCs, I, I hope they do. And whether they do or not, this is the right thing. And there's only one right thing, is to fight this. You know, Rodney, one of my favorite expressions I've shared before is that uh, from a friend named David Bornstein, that problems uh, scream while solutions whisper. And we need to get this solution to be a lot louder. Uh, Hopefully we have some regulators that are listening to this conversation who can look into some of these ideas. But for those who are listening, it sounds like you're about to activate that. Can they they find that at solofunds.com? Where would they be able to learn more about how you're trying to activate and get the word out to change some of these barriers that we've been talking about? Yeah, I, I would say in, in over the, in the next 30 days, visit solofunds.com for sure. If you're listening and you want to shoot us an email, you want to look at something before that, uh, info at solofunds.com. But I'm also Rodney at solofunds.com, right? <laughs> I, I take everything serious. And this is the good fight that I would love all support and advocacy. All of our data is your data. We're willing to give it to anyone. And that's why kudos and I commend the benefit B Corp for, yes. uh, you know, they don't, you can't be like, you can't be a payday. Like, they actually assessed us. They actually did the waterfall analysis of the cost. It was an eight month process to be certified. And they said, you know, these guys are the real deal. Yeah. But we're going to continue these things. You know, this the B Corp model, your philosophy, the uh, model of solo funds, it screams to me a shift from a maximization of everything all the time at all costs economy to an optimization economy. Optimization, what works for me as a lender what works for you as a borrower and where we can connect. That is the optimal solution. It doesn't max the benefit on your side, nor does it max the benefit on my side. It becomes optimal. That's a very elegant model. Uh, And Jonathan, I completely agree. It feels like a a great win, 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 right? Win for the community, win for the borrower, win, win for the lender and ultimately win for the country. So hopefully we can figure out a way to address some of these barriers. All right, Rodney, so we're going to have to wrap up here, but we can't let you go without asking a couple of additional questions. One is, uh, you know, you obviously have a, a breadth of interest and knowledge and get excited about a lot of different things, but what are you reading right now that's getting you excited? And then as you, you know, look out your window and down at that payday lender and you want to get fired up about how you're actually going to take this on, what are you listening to to, to get there? You know, uh, <laughs> interesting. I'm going to probably look at, what's the first book? I'm going to look at the, grab the first book that's next to me because that means what I'm looking at. And uh, I'm reading, and sorry for this light, I'm going to turn it. It's The City of Debtors. It's basically the story of the financial discrimination uh, in the country. Um, I I never heard of that before. City of debtors. Okay, awesome. I'm definitely going to check that out. What What makes me dangerous is not about what I'm doing today. It's what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'm, I'm young. You you. What, I hope you guys to everyone listening. That's what's going to make me dangerous. It's not about this. What I'm doing solo. You done got me started, and 
I think we're going to go after a lot of different parts of financial services, mortgages, car loans, home buying, right? The, that's one of the, that was one of the, the, the core, I mean, home buying is one of the quickest ways to wealth, especially when you transfer that to your children. Interest rates, the things that have happened, the way they underwrite. There's so much innovation to happen, and I'm going to be pretty dangerous in it. Rodney, I'm really going to get over my skis as we wrap up, but it kind of feels like the kind of virtual currency innovation that's outside of the regular regulatory lending and currency structure that's in place. That's what it feels like to me, an innovation to the entire system. If you think about where we're going, this I, I, I almost can taste community and, and making community technology and tangible technology where I can assess it, underwrite it, distribute it, and I can do it faster. And what we're doing is uh, take away technology, that connecting optimization piece between parties. We're going to make that really, really efficient for everything. All right. We can't let you go there, Rodney. Uh, Rodney Dangerous Williams, what are you listening to? Honestly, what I'm listening to, because uh, my mind goes crazy, but it's a, it's a cheat code for anybody that just wants to relax. Have you ever heard of binaural beats? Um, uh, binaural beats are frequency ranges that allow your mental state to, to do different things. There's sounds for sleep. There's sounds for um, meditation. But my favorite is called flow state. It allows clear flow, vision, and progress. And I tend to listen to that to gain clarity and to gain vision. As you can imagine, doing what we do is completely stressful, especially with limited finances, limited capital in an economic recession, but there's, we're serving people that need us to be as optimal as possible. And that's what I'm saying. And you got to be grounded in order to do the work you're doing uh, and getting into that kind of flow state is is right on target. It's, you said that's binaural? Binaural beats. It's it's a it's a it's a tongue twister. The first time I heard it, I, it was recommended to me. But if you just type in binaural beats, however you think it's spelled, it will then self-correct itself. And yes, when you're when you're just put it on, put it on in the background, let it flow, and uh, tell me if uh, things are, are going to be a little bit easier for you. It's been a pleasure, Rodney. Um, can't believe that our university hasn't uh, reached out to you because what you're doing is exactly the kind of innovation that we want to inculcate in Mountaineers. You're the Mountaineer spirit, the grit, the resilience, uh, the bottom-up approach to everything. I think you're just a model and encourage you to continue on and look forward to growing our personal friendship as well. Thank you for being here. Yeah, amen to that, Rodney. This has been really good. What what an inspiring conversation. I feel like I've been in the flow state all the way through this, and uh, I love the fact that you are just starting this dangerous journey of yours to disrupt our financial system and figure out ways that we can capitalize more people to be able to go create the wealth for themselves. So thank you, Rodney, for joining us. Take a look at solofunds.com to be able to track the progress that Rodney and his team are making. uh, And we really appreciate everyone joining us today. Thanks again, Rodney. Really great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. That was Rodney Williams with Solo Funds, which you can check out at solofunds.com. S-O-L-O funds.com. Thanks so much for listening to Moving the Needle. If what you heard resonates with your mission, do something about it. Leaving a rating and review and sharing our show with your network is greatly appreciated. But what we really want is for you to get involved and find a way to move the needle in your community. Moving the Needle is hosted by me, Jonathan Hollifield, and Christopher Gergen. Editing and production by Earfluence. Music from Bart Matthews and cover art from Devin Lewis Designs. We are also particularly grateful for our sponsors, Live Oak Bank and Society for Human Resource Management, or SHRM. We hope each episode introduces you to leading edge change makers, informs you about what's possible, and inspires you to action. So get out there and do some needle moving shit.
Hey, everyone. If you like this podcast, we have a couple of books for you. The first one is written by me, Jonathan Hollifield, called The Future Economy and Inclusive Competitiveness, How Demographic Trends and Innovation Can Create Economic Prosperity for All Americans. In this book, I answer the question, can America win its economic future? The answer is an emphatic yes, but I have concerns. Our nation is facing unprecedented global economic challenges. Although the economic narrative of the 20th century, in many ways, served America well, it will not, indeed it cannot, meet the needs of the 21st century. Today, we need all hands on deck, particularly those who have not competed well in our nation's best opportunities, Blacks, Latinos, rural humans, and others. In this book, I lay out an exciting way forward for America to inclusively compete to win the future. That's The Future Economy and Inclusive Competitiveness, which you can find on Amazon, or movingtheneedle.solutions. And I can tell you that Jonathan's book really is a great read and provides meaningful insights into the issues we all care about. And while we're at it, you may also really enjoy a book that I, Christopher Gergen, co-authored with Greg Vanerick called Life Entrepreneurs. Life Entrepreneurs, as you may find out, is a clarion call for those who are interested in integrating their lives and work with purpose and passion. In the book, we tell stories of people who have infused their life and work with energy, impact, and fulfillment. In writing Life Entrepreneurs, we had deep conversations with 55 life entrepreneurs who have intentionally and creatively designed their lives to be able to create truly extraordinary impact in the world and deeply fulfilling lives for themselves. We had a great time writing this book, and its lessons have impacted every aspect of my own life and the thousands of readers who have checked it out. So you can check out Life Entrepreneurs for yourself on Amazon or movingtheneedle.solutions.